Hello, I am Zelda Volkov, and you are listening to the Oh My God podcast. This is a space where honest conversation and raw interaction takes place. In these 25 minutes, I interview badass trailblazers and industry leaders about the things that they had to overcome to achieve success, the challenges that they faced as human beings first and as industry leaders second, leaving you with actionable techniques and takeaways to implement into your life immediately, taking you from where you are right now to where you want to go. This week's guest is Sarah Berkovic. Sarah is a freelance photographer, interior designer, coach, and mom based in New York. Her unique and open perspective on sex, religion, divorce, and truth make her a fantastic speaker and leader. We hope that you enjoy her interview on today's episode. Now, over to Zelda. for joining my podcast. It's such an honor and a pleasure to have you here. Obviously, we have very different stories, but our stories intertwine a lot. And I'm excited to dig in and talk about a lot of topics that are generally taboo for places where we come from. So I'm really excited about that. We were married to English guys. Right. You know, we grew up ultra Orthodox. We're single moms. We're business owners. Got a lot of similarities. Take us a little back. Where were you raised? How were you raised? Give us a little history lesson. So my parents are children of Holocaust survivors who are from Hungary. I went to a small school called Bean, and then later on, my parents switched me out to the old popular Sotmer to tell people just a little bit of what the Sotmer community is about. It's an ultra-Orthodox Hasidic community located mostly in Williamsburg. Now going back to my times when I was being raised, people have to remember my parents and a lot of people in my age demographic, 29 years young, very many people in our age demographic were raised by children of Holocaust survivors. And most of the way that we were raised was from a place of survival and under the shadow of trauma. Avoid all types of assimilation at all costs. Yes, yes. And you have to remember, these are people that were coming from small towns in Europe. They, they didn't live like we live today. Our grandparents, they, they lived far apart. The town rabbi, things were very different back then. I'll bring that over to a new country. And America was the place where Judaism was not meant to survive. And, and the involvement of it plays a lot into of what what's going on in our inner communities. And right. So flash forward, I got married to a Hasidic guy. And when I was really young, I was 19, it was not really what I had in mind. Was um, this your first guy that no, you went out first, with? Actually, no. Before him, I had a boyfriend. I was a rebel in my own right. Yes. Oh. I, well, I always pushed the boundaries. I was always a seeker and probably in school, um, yeah, I was very much ridiculed in school because I was a free thinker, I was very expressive, challenged the status quo a lot. So I met this guy and my parents didn't like him, he wasn't Hasidish, so that had to go. And then I got engaged to my ex and before I knew it, I was married and had a kid on the way. And that didn't work largely, there was, I think there was, I mean, looking back now, there was a lot of immaturity and a lot of unhealthiness that just was a recipe for disaster, you know, combined with the fact that we both came from largely unhealthy backgrounds. So there was like a lot of abuse. 
abuse and stuff going on. Um, and then by the age of 20, I was just a single mom trying to figure out what was going on in my life. It was like five years of my life where I was just really exploring. Looking back, it was quite an emotional mess. I started hanging out largely with guys and I left religion and I was very much in pain. I didn't have much support. It was very rough. What was your relationship during this time like with your family? I would say in the beginning, they obviously didn't want me to be in an abusive relationship, so they advocated for me to leave. But once I actually left, I was living home at the time with my son and I started to question the whole religious aspect of things, how I was raised, the whole system, that's when I started to have a lot of friction with my parents. And yes, there were nights where I slept in the hallway. They locked me out, threatened to take away my kid. Everyone turns to something. Drugs was never really my thing. Drinking, not as much I turned to guys. With that came a lot of vulnerability and not being able to say no to things. With that came a lot of sexes. Now I always found myself to be very intrigued by, by sex. When I approached my parents, there weren't many answers there. It wasn't something that was gonna be discussed. So I really started to explore. Then I became I found Chabad, I became very close to Chabad and I again and along with that came celibacy because if you're gonna be having sex people are not gonna be looking at you as marriage material I think I was pretty naive at the time and I believed it so I became abstinent and I found my second husband who was English and you know we dated I dated him Shomer believe it or not um, there was no sex involved up until we were engaged to be married one might say you know you found it you but yet it still wasn't working a few months into my marriage i was like something something is off here why don't we have any of that closeness that intimacy so there i was again living in london trying to figure out what's wrong I started to do a lot of research i started to really dig my five-year kind of hiatus with guys and sex led me to discover that I hadn't hit the truth. I knew that I've experienced things with guys that's not what I was experiencing in my marriage. And because this that marriage was like kind of the only marriage for me, my first marriage was not real. It was a forced thing. I was like, something doesn't add up here. You decided that religion is, is your path. So that five year where you were discovering and you had a boyfriend, that wasn't an option for you. Living your life right. in that way was not an option. You wanted right. to get married. Yes, what happened was that while I was exploring and I wasn't religious, when I kind of found Chabad and Judaism from a total different place, it was definitely healthier. It was different than what I was raised. I felt like it was true and real, but then I didn't ask questions when it came to what is a real marriage? What does real intimacy look like? What is sex? Just took it kind of for face value, for better or for worse. Any question that belief that like, why can't I have a boyfriend and also look for marriage? And why can't sex be a part of the picture? Because right. I'm doing a lot of analyzing and a lot of, you know, digging uh, amongst the behaviors of people that leave religion and then the ones that come back to religion, whether or not in the same route, a different route, a lot of times it comes from this space of despair. They go wild, they go on exploration, they go on some sort of discovery, and so they find religion in a different way, 
almost like, okay, like now I feel okay. Now I'm saved. Now I'll feel better. Now I'm healed. Now things will make sense. And then obviously it's not necessarily sustainable when something Mm. comes from despair. So I'm just wondering if that's what happened to you. Very many ways you hit the nail. I have been doing a lot of coaching work, been doing this program with Bob Proctor. I've also been incorporating other coaches. I've been noticing over, I would say the last three years, but mainly this last year where I have been doing so much digging and all of a sudden, all these old questions about religion and the system and what I've found is coming up for me. And I'm not, I've not been able to really dissect it. I'm like, what is it? Like, like why I've already been down that path. And I'm like, I asked myself questions, Sarah, what is it that you really, really, really want? When I was 20, 24, I would say 25, I did hit rock bottom. There was just that point where I had zero tools for life. And I don't know if the word is that I came back to religion from a place of despair, but I definitely was at a place where I was like, none of this is working for me. I already have all the freedom. I already have everything that I want and it's still not working. What is it? So I think that in finding place of belonging and home with Chabad, finding religion, that made the most like sense to me. Now, I am religious to today's day and age. I, I don't identify with this group or with that group. I'm a child of God, and that's mostly what I focus on. And, and, and I love so many of the things that I've been doing. Like, I could not live my life without, like, Shabbat. Shabbat, for me, it's like my, my breather. But there's other things in the realm of religion that I'm finding that I that I'm challenging those beliefs within myself I'm like who says I picked it the right way or I went about it the right way everyone has a truth that they feel that that's their truth and um you know it comes back to like even when you look into like the bible and the torah like like Abraham like Abraham or you know our forefather he was very much a rebel but he was a pioneer in his own right. He was searching for God in his own way because whatever he was seeing wasn't working for him. For me, all the things that have been told, I'm like, who says? Who says? Right, so the people that are religious will argue that it says it in the Torah. I definitely agree with you that I think that everyone is supposed to find God on their own, be like Avraham. And I think that organized religion even though I have respect for everyone, however they choose to live, but I'm against people telling other people, you know, how to live and what it says to do and what you have to do and what's wrong and what's right. Because I think that whole narrative obscures our individual connection to God because we end up needing to be a robot and doing different activities, even where we don't feel that connection. So we are not nurturing a connection. We're just nurturing our actions. Now, I think the same thing goes around with sex, for example. The, the most interesting thing for me is that if these concepts of don't have sex, don't do this, don't do that, if these rules and regulations actually were effective, and I'm not saying for all people, of course, there's a lot of people that say that there's a lot of people that are actually religious, but what I'm saying is the people that challenge the system and want to find God on their own or not find God on their own, the people that want to be an independent thinker and connect to God on their own way, those people are not listening to these rules. What they are doing is that they're holding on to the shame and guilt and suppressing these desires by 
they're still doing it and they're keeping it a secret, feeling like a criminal, or they're not doing it and they're suppressing it and living with major resentment and major anxiety around it. I mean, this is very much, first of all, why I agreed to have this conversation. I know I'm opening myself up to a can of God knows what, but I was that person. I was taking on a belief yet suppressing thing completely. It wasn't just like my desire. It's not like I had this animalistic, oh my gosh. I was growing and learning about feminine energy, masculine energy. Intimacy is very much about two people having a soul connection and seeing literally from the inside out into another person which usually culminates in sex. So why should that not be nurtured? My God and my creator who I connect to, I don't think he would have an issue at this point with me exploring that. If I was married and I was in a, a committed relationship, yeah, I think that's wrong. But I think that if you're having a relationship with somebody and someone's not quite ready for marriage, or, but yet they find somebody and they share something really close and powerful or something and it culminates in like sex i think well, that why the, is that wrong i think that why the idea that when we're wrong? raised extremely religious and extremely insulated and extremely sheltered that anything any kind of pleasure or anything any kind of you know temptation or any kind of physical human desire is looked down upon as bad if it's not if we're not doing it to serve god we're doing yeah. it because we're we, you know we have these evil inclinations and we need to suppress those feelings or harness it in a way to serve god otherwise we are feeding our animal soul and i think that this concept actually is so faulty because it actually feeds our animal soul in a very backwards way because yeah. we are we are physical people we are, we do have physical we desires. Are. And if we're going to suppress it, if we're going to suppress those desires, feeling like every time we have a desire, it's our evil inclination. It shows that we're bad or it shows that we're not good. We're actually going to just constantly have such bad thoughts about ourselves, self-deprecating thoughts, and we're just going to feel guilt and shame. When you create a border telling yourself, I'm not going to go past this line because if I go past this line, I'm just going to fly down, you know? So I'm creating these borders so that I don't even reach. Yeah. I don't even tempt myself. So in that scenario, you'll never know your limitations. You're never going to know if in fact you're going to fall or you're going to fly. You'll never know because you're never even going to test yourself. And there's no mm. way to know your limitations. If you don't test your limitations, there's absolutely no way. Trial and error. Yeah. And as a human being, you want to be able to see, to figure out, to explore, to discover, because only then could you actually realize that you're not evil at all, that your physical desires and temptations are beautiful, and you could utilize them and harness them in a way to elevate yourself, elevate the world around you, but you'll never be able to elevate it to that extent just from suppression. 100%. And you know what's funny, Zelda? Like, I was in a sexless, loveless, lack of whatever you want to call it, marriage for three years, and I couldn't understand why if I had done everything the right way, why was I still not experiencing that love and that intimacy that I craved, that I wanted, that was my vision for my relationship? And then I had to, I had to pioneer, be like a Abraham in my own right, 
and search and go out. And after my divorce, I mean, I don't want to go into all of the details, but what happened was that I was very much, the, the first thing was shame. Now, I'm a big adversary for leaving shame and guilt. And there's uh, Brene Brown. I follow her. She's devoted her life to studying shame and guilt. And she says, shame loves secrecy. Shame thrives in secrecy. Guilt and shame, they are partners. They are in cahoots. They go together. The more you put it in secrecy, the more it's going to keep building. And she's like, the, thing, the way to kill shame and to kill guilt is to open it up, to talk about it, to have a conversation, to, yes, be open and sharing about it. Like, but, she says, find somebody who really is worthy of your story. Don't go tell your story to somebody who's really not going to know what to do with it, you know? Right. My shame and my guilt from my second marriage was so enveloping, I did not know what to do. I was like, here I am about to face the world with two failed marriages. How is that going to look? And on top of that, I was like suppressing all of like three years of almost not having, I can count on my fingers how many times I've had sex. Really good sex, connected, intimate sex. Probably none. Um, you know, so I had to undo not just the last three years, but probably the last 10 years of my life. As I'm now, I would say I'm, I'm, I'm starting to reach a real healthy, great place within myself. I'm realizing that there shouldn't be even shame in talking about sex. Sex needs to be discussed from a healthy place. But even more than it's not discussed, it's as if it doesn't exist yeah. in the planet of women until she gets married, then it's heavily discussed. And then when she gets divorced, if she gets divorced, it is supposed to be erased from her psyche as if it doesn't exist. I find that to be the most hilarious because it's like, you know, I, I married the first guy, three dates, got married, seven years of marriage. Up, up until marriage, obviously no sex, no boyfriend, no hooking up, nothing. Seven years of marriage, very intensely, you know, all the rules and laws and purification and mikvah and everything, like to, like all the details, like every sexual law, I don't even think a regular person can even think about the amount of things that, that halakhically we go through in right. terms of sex. But then if you get divorced, it's sex? What sex? Like as if that world is just erases from our right. psyche again. And it's like now you're divorced, you're entering that whole different box and the stigma that comes with it. Yeah. Now, to me, I was always thinking like, you know, you know, I was always ashamed in terms of um, it, it, you're so much, you know, are you a whore? Are you a slut? Uh, who right. are you? You know, you have, you have sex. Who is this? And I was always worried about this, this concept. Meanwhile, nobody's feeling ashamed about the fact that they need to have sex two weeks a month very religiously like nobody is is ashamed about that it's the same the same sexual we're talking about oh the same sex here you know you hit it yeah exactly that's another part by the way that's part of that whole taboo thing it's like yeah it's like why when you're married all of a sudden it's like you have the right to like i would speak because like this is a topic that i'm very into because i want to grow so i actually interviewed some married couples i'm like so the truth tell me you know um you know and some people be like well we love to explore we've done this we've done that we've done it here we've done it there we whatever and i'm like mm, still not feeling 
still not feeling something here. Like it's, it's, it's kind of also like searching for the truth. My truth about sex was like, I did the do, like doing the do just wasn't working for me. But why was that so like, why were people made to feel like, uh, like this is slutty and this is shameful and this is not something to be discussed. Me having to go to the rabbi or not me actually, my ex-husband, you know, like going to the rabbi with, uh, with some underwear. <laughs> That's okay. That's not shameful. That's fine. That's normal. You know, yeah. it's it's just like it's. it's just, I just think that that I just think personally that they've taken like, if we were to have a window into time to go going back to like Abraham or like our ancestors, like time is how I think about it. I'm like I don't think this is what they were doing. I really don't think this is what they were doing. <laughs> Definitely, like, our Torah brings us many, many references of things, but what's going on in today's society and in our inner communities, that's just not it. I really think this women should have this conversation. Men should have this conversation. It should, it should be a conversation that becomes a lot more regular from a place of obviously health and maturity and understanding, not shame guilt let's move this okay let's pretend this doesn't exist god created it here's the thing like adam and eve they the first thing they did was they had relations god's created it so it's it's gonna be there it's what you're gonna do with it how you're gonna go about it and and how you want to kind of bring god into this because here's the thing sexual energy is one of the highest energies there is in the world. You can bring light into the world. They say because it's the most powerful, it needs to be, you know, it's the most intimate, it's the most sacred, it needs to be, you know, dealt with accordingly. But I will say that, you know, some people like get upset at me from my Instagram. They think that I'm trying to convince people to be not religious. That's not my opinion at all, at all. I think everybody should do exactly what their truth tells them to do. And I also think that everybody should embrace the fact that as they grow, develop and expand, their truth could change and they should change because that's how life works i i agree with that my growth my expansion has been wow transformational and my connection to god i when i when i pray and when i dive in which i love to do by the way i'm always asking god to keep me close to him to show me in whatever way shape or form where i need to go next i have to let go of this whole story of shame and guilt the first thing that i was afraid to do was to talk about it that i'm having all of these sexual desires and it wasn't that i needed to just have sex and as i grew and i evolved i realized that it was coming from a place i was i wanted true intimacy i wanted something powerful i wanted something close with someone that wasn't about just having a baby because obviously if there's a whole topic dedicated to sexual laws and sexual regulations in religion obviously it means it's a huge part of people it's a huge part of life you can't just simply suppress it and wait until you get married some people don't get married for years and years and years but the point is if you feel good waiting wait if you feel better not waiting don't wait Whatever the case is, let go of the shame and the guilt. Yes. Shame and the guilt don't actually keep you celibate. You end up still having sex, but walking around with this huge baggage of shame and guilt.
100%. And you know what? Shame and guilt, they, they really keep you locked into that cycle of it's like quicksand. It's like you're, with, you're, you're constantly being pulled down and then you're creating patterns on top of patterns to, to avoid dealing with the shame and the guilt. And it wasn't even as much as rebelling. I need to explore this. I just like this topic has just been so taboo, so shrouded, so no, no, no. And for so long, I've been trying to do the right thing. This is the right thing. Right. And the right thing sometimes, it means you have to take a little bit of a detour to get back to the right thing. Who are we to say that what works for you or what's whatever, that's what's written and what's said, doesn't mean, it's funny actually, I, I recently explored this with somebody and they said, well actually if you do the bathing ritual and you do all of that stuff, why can't you like have sex? Like you did all the things. And I was like, that's interesting. That's not what they told us in school. The main thing that I think is important is raising awareness yeah. that everything that we're taught is not necessarily what will work for you. And get curious, question, figure yeah. out, see what is going on here for you, what's going on here all around us. And most of the time, what I'm noticing is that a lot of people do things without questioning and that's yeah. the problem there's this book i'm reading it's called the four agreements and one of them is never make assumptions so what's the opposite of assumptions questioning asking i think everything in our religion in judaism actually is just the opposite encourages us to ask encourages us to seek you know questions were always discouraged because yeah. they were afraid yeah. that either yeah. they wouldn't have the answers yeah. or that we would, you know, yeah. just veer out and find the answers elsewhere. So yeah, it's such a, you know, there's so much to unpack here. I think it's yeah. so important that we're beginning this conversation. If you're feeling guilty or shameful, it's because of two things. One, or two, one of two things. Either you're feeling guilty and shameful because you're holding on to the beliefs of other people and so you're doing something that goes against what you were conditioned to believe is right. So you're doing it because you want to do it, but you're feeling guilty because you were told it's wrong. Or you are doing something that you yourself believe is wrong and you're doing it anyways. If it's somebody else's belief, let go of that belief. And if it's your belief, then let go of the action. It has to be one or two. Sarah, thank you so much for, for having me. Thank you I for, mean, this, for your vulnerability and your honesty. This has been amazing. It's been a pleasure. I know this is just a snippet of kind yes. of what's going on, but I just want to encourage people to ask the right questions and to actually, yes, talk about things because talking about things at least will remove the shame and the guilt. Exactly. Exactly. And shame and guilt, whatever religion or thing you're, you're into has no place in a, in a healthy society. Exactly. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for See having you me. Soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Oh My God with Zelda Volko. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please make sure to leave a review, share it with your friends, and subscribe so that you don't miss next week's episode. Tune in next week for another interview with another badass boss.